0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Ernie De Los Santos, founder and faculty chair at Appeal Academy and founder of Top Gun Audit School. We are live on the January 20th, 2017 edition of Finally Friday. And I do want to thank you for choosing to spend your precious time with us here on Finally Friday. Today's Finally Friday broadcast is brought to you by... The Health Law Partners, providing solid advice and real solutions for healthcare business nationwide. One of our partner firms is Recovery Analytics. That's Sharon Easterling's company. She does auditing and education and often authors articles for AHIMA as an AHIMA fellow. And she's a co-host on our show. Finally Friday is now also sponsored by Zermed. They're a leading provider of financial and clinical performance management solutions using breakthrough predictive analytics technology to help you get paid faster, more fully, and more cost-effectively by both payers and patients. Visit zermed.com to learn more. And finally, we're also partnered with the Council for Certification of Medical Auditors, CCMA, the creators of the widely used Certified Medical Audit Specialist, or CMAS, certification. And we're proud that we've been approved to offer CEUs for our shows. You should check with your organization to see if they'll accept these CEUs. I've heard that most do. Now, this week we are proud, once again, to have an industry expert with us, Mary Gregory, who is the president and founder of MAS Coding Solutions, and she's a certified ICD trainer. We've had Mary on the show several times before to go over all these ICD-10 updates and like last week we have her back now to continue her review of all the changes that the American Hospital Association has commented on in coding clinic guidelines and she's graciously added some very specific coding scenarios to her presentation as many viewers asked for during last week's show so as usual, we also have our weekly panel with us, Dr. Maria Johar, who's a full-time physician advisor coming to us from Prometica Hospital System in Ohio. There's our revenue cycle expert, Sharon Easterling, an auditor and author with her own company, Recovery Analytics, creator of her newest product called DocBytes. You can go to her website for more info on that. And then Bill Mom should be joining us. Um, although he's over on the other side of the pond at the moment doing work over in England. He is a certified medical auditor and physician assistant, managing director of his own company, Health Revenue Integrity Services. At least I think that's where he is is today.
1: Uh,
0: He should be with us. Um, He should be joining us. Is
1: that Bob? Oh, yeah. He's Pierce Brosnan. (laughs) (laughs)
0: now that's the previous james bond uh yeah we haven't put up a a daniel craig picture yet okay so anyway before we get going uh i do want to make clear that the opinions shared on this show are those of the panelists not necessarily representative of their employers my opinions are also my own of course and no one else's especially not those of our sponsors and finally These shows are offered for educational purposes only and certainly are not offered as legal advice. We do our best to provide great, accurate, and conservative education for free and at least point you in the direction of solutions if we can't solve a problem for you directly. Okay, so before we get started, for those of you who are new to the show, I do want to take you over and show a page on the website first. Uh, If I can get... This once again working, so let's see if I can get to the site. Here we go. Uh, If you are new to using the room, you might want to go on here and look at appealacademy.com. Go to any page on the site, and if you scroll down, you get to this meeting room instructions box right here. And If you click on that, it tells you how to use all those little green buttons at the top of your screen. In particular, you're going to want to open the chat box, because sometimes there's uh, good answers going on in there, questions and comments, and even sometimes a separate concert conversation. Uh, but anyway, that is a public room. Please keep your comments professional. Uh, and um, of course, keep in mind there's all different kinds of people in there. Uh, so anyway, and then there is a way for you to zoom in on the screen if we are not zoomed in enough you on something. There's also a list of participants. You are usually the one at the very top of the list. If you point to you, a little box will uh, pop up and it gives you a chance to uh, put in your name if you want to. You don't have to. You can see in the participants list, some people do, some people don't. It's up to you. Okay. Oh, also on um, this week, on Finally Friday, every week, we always have the handouts, Uh, So if you scroll down on the page, you can always see the handouts which are ready to download right here. More information on how to enter the meeting and all that. There'll be a replay of this week's show posted here just after the show. Podcasts will also be uh, posted. That is actually listed in iTunes. You can take those with you in the car or on your phone or whatever. Um, Here's the CEU certificate, and then there's a preview or or a replay of last week's show there. If you want to see any of the previous shows, you just use that link at the bottom of the page or go to Finally Friday menu, click on Past Weeks on Finally Friday, and that will take you to our archive where every show has its own page. They are listed in uh, chronological order, the latest ones first. You can also search for subjects on the site in that box right there. It wants you to put in a category or tag. Just ignore that, you can put in one word, or name and it will show you everything it can find on our site okay so enough of that let's uh, let's get back
2: to the uh, yeah sure get back to the show and
0: um, there we go okay used to not show all that tab stuff when I moved around but anyway now it does anyway so uh, just a couple few bits of news before we get started here. I do want to remind everyone that we still have the OPPS Final Rule webinar for free up. That's uh, about an hour and a half with Bill Malm and Jugna Shaw explaining all that. Uh, as we said, that's free, made possible by our sponsor, Zermed. That's still on our site. This was something that came up this week. Bill and Sharon uh, both thought this was something we ought to be able be pointing out to people how um, cognition is getting more and more reliable. Uh, and IBM has apparently invested heavily in that with their IBM Watson. You know, that's their supercomputer and apparently they have a, uh, some software on it that uh, works on the health, health industry. So I don't know exactly what all that means, but it looks like all that stuff is coming soon. Uh, to a hospital near you. There's a report that's in the handouts today. There was also this that came out this week where CMS is basically telling uh, vendors that they want them to stop uh, basically putting roadblocks up uh, for data. um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? All of a sudden, I can't think of it. Uh, just being able to exchange data in between applications, in between hospitals, in between different EMRs. So they've actually
1: interoperability.
0: Interoperability, yeah, okay. that's the word. So anyway, there's the link to the original article. Thought you might want to uh, hear about that because it's included in uh, some recent legislation that came out. Uh, also, this is um, this is another one where they're talking about don't get in our way about um, uh, sharing data. And this was on the CMS blog. And I just wanted to mention
1: that that Watson side, um, Watson is absolutely fabulous. If you get an opportunity to do a demo of Watson, I would highly encourage it. Um, It can analyze huge volumes of data in seconds. Uh, especially huh. if you're looking at ambulatory, um, you know, getting ahead of some of the macro and population health stuff. I saw it at AHIMA in October, um, I think it was. Absolutely fantastic tool.
0: Hmm. Well, it should be able to do an awful lot pretty fast. It is a supercomputer, so. And uh, they're just getting smarter and smarter. It's a little scary sometimes. But anyway. Okay, Uh, thank you, Sharon. Okay, so last week we had uh, Mary with us talking about these major coding changes which are basically the most significant changes in the last 20 years um, in uh, how to do coding. Uh, And we had uh, so much discussion about um, some of the scenarios and people were wondering, you know, well, how does that really uh, have an effect in particular because the coding changes may change the DRGs, of course, which changes reimbursement, which also makes for even more targets um, when you're talking about auditing. So we invited her to come back uh, this week and do part two. Uh, And, of course, this is not anything that uh, you should be taking lightly. Even if you're not a coder, uh, people need to understand that these changes are happening and it's going to affect our documentation is done, and I'm not talking about just physician documentation, as we were talking about last week. Uh, you're going to have to be prepared to defend some of these things, uh, depending upon how you do the coding. So you better there. There needs to be good notes taken about the coding as well, uh, even though that's not included in you know physician documentation. But there are things that you're going to have to pay attention to, and you you've got to start doing this now. It's not something you can just uh, put off or or things you wait until you get audited. So with that,
3: um, Ernie, before Mary and, gets oh started, yeah, I just right, want to do that right. quick JW ahead, update. Bill. So we have polled as many MACs as we can get hold of for JW. There is no consistent guidance out there, but there is a pattern of behavior. When involved in the charges associated with splitting the line between the JW, the amount wasted, and the amount delivered, they are not expecting a nominal charge. They are not expecting a penny charge. They actually want you to split that dollar amount. So if the drug costs $100 and 80 percent was given and it was eighty dollars that's what you should have on the non-jw line and twenty dollars on the other one so that adds another curve to this whole uh problem and that was uh in a couple of different max websites the other thing was neridian did have a publication on their website after they asked the teleconference Um, and they have indicated that the JDW obviously has to be consistently applied, but that brings us back to the question, if you don't do it at all, is that consistently applied? If you do do it, um, we have other MACs that are saying they expect to see it on all G and Ks. So this is still a question that has not been answered by CMS, nor are we getting any specifics from from the MACs. And finally, in terms of documentation, Only WPS has actually said what they wanted which is the reason for the wastage and all of that. No other MAC that we can find has given specific guidance as to the documentation or the, where the documentation occurs. So I would highly suggest that you keep bugging your MACs and if you're not getting an answer from the MACs, remember you have that next level to go to. If your MAC is not giving you what you need to be compliant with a regulation, the next step is that regional CMS office. Start bringing it up to the regional level. Make sure it gets listed as a question on the open-door forums. Um, unfortunately, this is not a, a hospital open-door forum issue. This is actually with the ASP pricing group, but I would still bring it up on the hospital open-door forum to, to find out what you should do about it. So that's where we are as of today, and if there's any other changes, we'll absolutely bring them to you. So on with Mary, the good speaker.
0: Okay. <laughs> Uh, And there was a question about whether you were talking about charge or cost. Um,
3: I am talking about your charges, your charges. So on the UB, your charges Ah. must be split. They do not expect to see a penny charge or something less than a dollar. They want the actual charge for the uh, item that you would have billed normally. So they want, in total, if you have the non-coded and the coded JW, those two lines combined should equal what you would charge for the whole thing had it not been wasted. Wow. Okay. Wow.
0: Still, okay, still lots of questions I'm sure are going to happen there. But, okay, thanks, Bill. Mary, I am uh, passing you the mouse. Uh and,
1: um, I'm not sure what this means. Download. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna put cancel there. Uh, let's see, uh, Ernie, I may need a lesson in turning these oh. slides. Let's see here.
0: Uh-oh. Uh oh. It said you. De- it said you declined. It must not be. Uh, oh, you're probably not on the. You're probably not using the app. That's probably what happened.
1: You know that's exactly what happened. Is there any way you can turn the slides for me?
0: Yeah. Sure. Oh. Okay, I'll do it. You're just handling the
1: slides. That'll be great. Hi, everyone. Um, Thanks for having me back today. Ernie's going to help me with the slides. Um, Got an announcement. I have applied for two hours of CEUs from the AAPC. Uh, When I receive those, I will give those to Ernie, and he can um, upload the, um, the certificate. 'Cause you all yeah. the C P C we know that we have to have that number that they give us on the certificate. So look for that real soon. Uh Ernie. Yeah, let's when I get when I
0: get that I'll I'll send an email out to everybody and it'll be posted on the page for this for this show. Okay.
1: Uh Ernie, uh let's go to slide number 10. ten. 'Cause now I may be uh let's see. Yeah. Okay. Because that's um I'm looking at what I sent you, Ernie. That will actually start with the scenario because um, I won't go over everything we already covered, but that will start yeah. with the scenario with um, hypertensive, hypertension and hypertensive crisis.
0: Hypertensive scenario, that one. Okay. Is that the right one?
1: Um, yeah, Let's look at that one. Uh, wait a minute, Ernie. Go okay. back up to yes. Uh, let's see here. Hypertensive. I got a um, um, a chart in there, Ernie, and the title of that slide is hypertensive crisis.
0: Oh, all right. Let me find that.
1: We'll apologize. Hypertensive crisis. Uh, I should ask Ernie. Okay. Yes, here we go. Okay. Okay. So you can see, we last week we stopped when we were talking about hypertensive crisis, hypertensive emergency, uh, and urgency. And, of course, we have new codes for that. And notice we got to use an additional code to identify the presence of hypertension. So if your patient comes in with a hypertensive urgency or crisis, you also have to use an I-10 code as well, the appropriate I-10 code. If we go, let's go to the next
2: slide, Ernie. Ernie, this is what okay. I want to show you.
0: Whoops, are we out of order?
1: Yeah, go to the next one, Ernie. I'm not really sure uh, where we are with all this. There we go. That's it. Okay. So I gave you an example. Of if the patient was admitted with an exacerbation of systolic heart failure, with hypertensive crisis, the guideline says you will go. the The principal diagnosis will be dependent on the reason for the admission. And I want to show you how this could look or how this could uh, play out. So, if your patient came in and you had a principal diagnosis of I 16.9, and you 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 list your systolic heart failure because it's acute as your secondary. Now you're going to go into DRG-304, which will give you a much higher-weighted MSDRG. If you hmm. choose to use DRG, if you want to go the other way and put the CHF first and use your hypertensive uh, as your CC, then, of course, you're going to go into 292. So you'll have a hmm. little less payment uh, on that. So you can play around with these when both are present on a mission and both are equally treated. And the I-16.9 can be a principal or it can be a secondary. Uh, and so remember, CMS says there's nothing wrong or immoral or illegal about you getting the best reimbursement as long as documentation support what you're doing. So I just want you to see the reimbursement difference. uh Mm-hmm. in dealing with this um, hypertensive crisis, urgency, or whatever it may be, with an acute CHF or any other uh, major CC. Because remember, hypertension have just 2 MSDRGs, 303, I believe, and 304. 304 and 305. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. So 304 says with the major CC, and I think 305 says without a major CC. You may have your book there, and, uh, of course, you can let me know if I'm wrong on that. Let's go to the next one, Ernie, because I don't, did did we talk about MI, Ernie? I can't remember. Uh,
0: Don't believe
1: we did. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So the MI slide should be after that one. I should have accepted that. uh, I should have asked questions. One of the um, the problems that, it could be a problem, I don't think it's necessary, it has to be, We are dealing with, uh, we know with ICD-10, the time frame change for when we can code an acute MI. uh, You can code an acute MI within 28 days. Uh, A lot of people were struggling because when you went to the official coding guidelines, it kind of indicated that any time the patient came back in with an MI uh, as a secondary, you would code it as acute. And so uh, it will give you a major CC, so we were all struggling, should we do this, should we not do this? So what the coding clinic did was they said, look, we're going to put this in the same category as any other secondary diagnosis. And that means that it has to meet this definition of a secondary diagnosis. Is it clinically evaluated or was it therapeutic treatment given or was there some type of diagnostic p- procedure? Did it extend that patient LOS or did it increase nursing care? And so if if your MI, if your patient came in with pneumonia and they had an MI two weeks ago and the physician documented that the patient had an MI two weeks ago, it's rare, you know, the physician would actually say oh, acute MI. They may just say MI two weeks ago. They may say acute MI two weeks ago. And now, as a coder, like I said, we would be struggling with it. But if they provide any treatment for that patient, go to the next slide, Ernie, um, okay. of course, we can code it. Now, that was a question in the coding clinic, and I put it in here for you, but I'm not going to read through it. I'm just going to talk through it. Um, so what happened is when that patient come in and if they get any type of medication, it appears that you can code um the MI, because the questions, uh, Ernie, go to the next slide. And remember, mm. this is going to apply whether the patient was readmitted to another hospital or was the patient transferred to another hospital. Remember, in I 9, we had this rule, and it said that if your patient was in hospital A with an MI and was transferred to uh, hospital B, Hospital B will automatic code that MI. Now they didn't have to necessarily have to code it as a principal, but they could code it as a secondary. In I9, they also would not allow us to code the MI as a uh, acute MI if they went to some type post-acute care setting. With 10, all of that changed. So if your patient is in hospital A and is transferred to Hospital B, then hospital B must give the patient some type of treatment for the MI and of course we know that they are and that will not be hard to meet. If they go to a nursing home within that twenty eight days, that nursing home under I C D ten guideline could also use uh, code the M I as long as they're providing some type of treatment for the MI. What mm-hmm. I did what I struggled with at one time was what is treatment for an MI? Uh, You know, maybe they're on medication. Uh, They may not necessarily do a hard calf. How does it increase nursing care? Those are very hard questions to uh, ask and sometimes to even answer. So to me, and I think we may have some physicians on the call, and Sharon and Bill can jump in at any time, uh, or we can say questions until the end. When a patient is coming in two weeks post-MI, Surely it's going to affect the way that patient is treated. See? But I think what we are finding out to when I talk to people sometimes is this. They want the physician to document, I am treating this acute MI with da-da-da-da-da. And they're not going to say that right. for us.
2: Right, I think, from, uh, yeah, this is Dr. Johar. Uh, yes, we do uh, let our physicians, uh, or we encourage, um, highly encourage our physicians to write it out in their progress notes to say what is uh, their thought process and what exactly are they doing for the MI or the okay. recent MI.
1: For the recent MI. Uh, so we yes. had this uh, question. Thank you, Dr. Johar. So we are trying to educate physicians to actually make those statements because people feel yes. more comfortable when you make the statement.
2: And then right. mm-hmm. the coders are more comfortable. Yeah, the mm-hmm. coders are more comfortable coding from that once the physician has uh placed it once in the progress note to say this was the recent situation and this is what they are using to further monitor, assess, evaluate and treat the patient given the current circumstances or readmission. Right.
1: Okay. Thank you, Dr. Mm-hmm. Johar.
2: The question in the coding
1: clinic state that a patient was three weeks, and it may be on uh, uh, Ernie. Your your slides a little bit different. I'm kind of using my computer, and our slides huh. are not um, uh, coordinating some kind of way. Uh, well, we
0: were in a we were in a rush this week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So um, in the uh, coding clinic, a patient is admitted uh, three weeks post-acute MI, and they was actually readmitted for an exacerbation of the COPD. During the hospital stay, the patient is continued on the cardiac medication And so the question was, would they be able to code that acute MI? And according to the answer in the AHA coding clinic, you would code that as an acute MI again because the patient is being continued on cardiac um, medication. So watch out for that. You can read that uh, in the coding clinic. uh, So that should help us uh, with that. Now, this is our coding scenario. I think I have finally caught up with uh, Ernie. So we had a patient that was admitted with accelerated hypertension. That patient was complaining of acute onset of severe dyspnea. The patient was admitted for acute exacerbation of CHF. He had accelerated hypertension. He had diabetes. He had CKD. Baseline was unknown. So his diagnosis were uh, exacerbation of systolic heart failure, accelerated hypertension, and stage 3 CKD. All righty, so now let's go uh, to this potential MSGRG table. I gave you a lot of different scenarios how this could play out. If, uh, if you go with uh, acute systolic heart failure, and remember, once again, you always got to look at the circumstances of the admission if both are equally treated uh, and both are present on admission. So all things being equal, this is what's happening. So if I went with I5023 and then I did one of the I11 codes, uh, I110, I'm going to have hypertension acute on chronic. When I do that, I will have my I11 code. I will have my I16. Uh, notice I don't have I16 because the physician documented that the patient had accelerated hypertension. Accelerated hypertension is a non-essential modifier under the I-11 category or the I-10 category. So when you do that, when you put the I-5023 first and you do your I-11 second, then you're going to go into heart failure 293. Now, we really cannot do that. Uh with the I-5023 and the I-11 because you have a coding guideline that tells you the I-11 has to go first. And so what Hmm. happened is if you put I-110 first and the I-50, notice that heart failure would not count as a CC or a major CC. If Hmm. if your patient actually has some type of hypertensive crisis and you got I-11, and you got the I-16, and you're doing the I-5023, notice your I-16 will count as a CC. And so now you're going into 292.
0: Okay.
1: When you throw in the fact that your patient got CKD and hypertension, we have a guideline that said when you got hypertensive CKD, you have to code it out as hypertensive CKD. But when you also have heart involvement, then you got a combination code that you use. That's your I-13. And look what happened when you have your I-13 as your primary. That heart failure will count as a major CC. So it's very interesting how this can play out. And what I wanted to remind everyone is this. I, I use the accelerator here. But you can have a patient that come in with an exacerbation of systolic heart failure. And that, that hypertension may just be fine. And you say, Mary, I'm not doing anything for this hypertension. You have to follow the guidelines. And there are going to be days when you're going to lose money because that I-11 or I-16 or whatever, most I-11, is going to have to go first. That's the guideline. So watch out for it. And always remember your accelerated hypertension just go to a regular old code it will not go into those i16 you're going to have to have documentation of that let's move on ernie i did one for we
0: we do have a question
3: mary is um, there any key documentation that we would need this brings up the point of you know these are with i it's a lot more granular what what type of documentation actually helps to support these things Because we we know that our EHRs don't lend to just supporting these things. Sometimes you have to get CDI involved or something like that. But when you're looking for CCs, MCCs, what additional documentation could have been there from the get-go that would have helped us uh, along in the coding process?
1: I think, uh, Bill, in dealing with this coding process and documentation, if you want to code, um, what I want to say, crisis or urgency, then we're going to have to, I went out and looked at it online, there's a certain blood pressure range that that patient has to have. Also, you want to look to see what type of uh, treatment is being given. Are they given any type of IV meds? And also remember, we can code what was done or use the documentation that was done in the ED. I think sometimes these patients come in through the emergency department bill, they're treated, they're stabilized, and, of course, when they get to the floor, you may not be experiencing that very high hypertension. But it was treated Hmm. in the ED, and you've got to remember we can code from that ED documentation or at least make the attendant aware of it uh, so that they can improve their documentation. So from a coding perspective – I want to see what's being given as far as trying to get the uh, crisis or the urgency. I want to see what the blood pressure reading is. I, somebody listed in the progress notes for me, or uh, once again, I'm going to be looking at the h and P. I'm going to be looking to see what type of treatment is given. And remember, it doesn't have to be IV meds because sometimes they can bring, as you know, uh, bring that patient blood pressure down with uh, oral medication. And, of course, when we're looking at acute systolic heart failure, we're looking at the dyspnea, we're looking at, uh, you know, the treating that patient with IV Lasix. I think one of the things I want people to be comfortable with, Bill, is that you can have, like I said, this I-11 code, which is just hypertension. Uh, I-11.0 is just hypertension with CHF. And there are going to be time, Bill, when there would be no treat, no I guess, um, acute treatment being given for that. Um, So we really know how sometimes you're not going to have to have a lot of documentation to support that that patient had some type of episode of that acute CHF. We are simply coding by the rules. So even though the CHF brought that patient in, that was aggressively treated, and the hypertension is just coexisting there. But because we have that rule, we have to go with it. And no auditor can fight that bill. But if you want to get the hypertensive code, hypertensive crisis or hypertensive urgency, then yes, we're looking in that documentation. We're looking for the blood pressure reading. We may be looking for signs and symptoms of, of that hypertensive crisis. Sometimes, of course, it could be a headache or sometimes it's dizziness, whatever it may be that's causing that patient um, the sign and symptoms that go along with that. And,
3: that. and that's kind of what I was getting at. Right in the ER, you know, ERs are basic, are they're known for just uh, documenting on the focused issue of the moment to stabilize mm-hmm. either treat and street or treat and get them upstairs for the full thing to evolve up there. So part of the, the loss I see from the get-go is the ER just being a bit cryptic um, about how they write things. There would just be hypertension instead of, you know, what, what actually happened here. Um, you can see it in the nurse's notes sometimes, but, you know, that's a lot that if it was just easier and more fully documented, I think we can move ahead with these things. But you start the problem right from the ER. So that was a good point, Mary.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, one of the things, I'm like you or Bill, when you see uh, ER doctor notes saying they provided critical care, and I just see hypertension, I'm like, huh? How are you going to bail out a critical care code with just plain old hypertension? And so that's a, a red flag for me sometimes. When I see a, a ER doctor saying this, they spent 30 minutes, 40 minutes providing critical care, I'm like, hmm. And the keto is sometimes these auditors will give you a hard time if they don't see the thought process coming over into that inpatient admission. And so I think it behooves behoove us to ask the attendant is, you know, to look at the ER record and see if they can give a more specific diagnosis hmm. because of what happened in the ER. Because I do see that a lot where they're saying I provided 45 minutes of critical care, and the patient will go up to OVS or sometimes become an inpatient, and all they give me is hypertension, which is I-10. And I'm like, huh? So I think there's Hmm. some uh, documentation issues that, like you said, Bill, could be addressed in the ER. Okay, uh, Ernie, next one.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's see. We get... uh, Well, that's some of the width. Now, we were...
1: Okay, and I put one in here for your GI bleed, so we'll go to the next slide. I think it's the GI bleed one. Uh, yep, the patient was admitted with lower okay. GI bleeding, Hey had diverticulosis and acute blood loss anemia. The patient was transfused with four units of packed cell. Colonoscopy was performed with negative findings. Our diagnosis is GI hemorrhage, diverticulosis, and acute blood loss anemia. This is another one that we as CODA struggle with. When can anemia anemia be principal? Hmm, I get that question a lot, especially when it's in relationship to a GI bleed. So, on our chart, if you go to the next one, Ernie, we got a chart here for you. And just uh, want you all to see how this could play out. Okay. So, we got uh, MSDRG 378, GI hemorrhage with CC. And notice we got a K92.2, that's a GI hemorrhage. Your K57.9 is just diverticulosis, no problem, no bleed, no perforation, no abscess. D62 is acute blood loss anemia. Look at your weight there uh, and your payment. When you make Hmm. K57.91 principal, that's a diverticulosis hemorrhage uh, with hemorrhage, and you got your acute blood loss anemia, Notice your DRGs are the same. What happens when you have the blood loss anemia as a principal, and you have K5790 as a secondary? Now, remember, K5790 is just plain. You're just saying the patient got diverticulosis. It's no problem. You go into 812, look at the reimbursement and the relative weight. If you made the uh, acute blood loss anemia principal. And then you have the diverticulosis with bleeding. Look at what happened to your MSDRG. It go to 811. Um, and I'm not sure if Dr. Johar could speak to this, but I know as a coder, we really struggle sometimes with when that patient comes in. A lot of times, they may actually present with their anemia. They know they have anemia. So they give them the uh, packed cells or transfuse the patient, and then they go on a quest to see what is causing it. And sometimes they'll find out it's a GI bleed or whatever the case may be. And so the coder is like, okay, when when will we do a, a anemia versus a, a GI bleed? Because it can significantly, uh, you know, affect reimbursement. So kind of look at that. And notice we said that the, the colonoscopy was um, negative. For me as a coder, if I had a GI bleed and a negative colonoscopy, I would probably, and this is just me, and it may not be that I would, depending on who I'm working for, they may not want me to do this. They may say, look, Mary, the rules say you can hook these two together. We're going to hook them together. And uh, But I might want to, on my own, if I'm doing it on my own, I may say, hmm, I'm going to get the physician to nail the coffin shut so that mm-hmm. when an auditor comes in, they won't be able to take it away. And I may query them and ask them if the uh, bleeding is associated with the diverticula. It's just a way of really audit-proofing your coding. You don't have mm-hmm. to, but you can if you want to. What else we got, Uh, Ernie? We had diabetes with all their conditions. Let's skip down uh, Ernie to, now it's 22 on me, but I'm not sure. I skipped about two slides, Ernie. Uh,
0: Another scenario, diabetes scenario with type 2 diabetes. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Diabetes scenario, Mm mm-hmm. So we got a patient that was admitted with type 2 diabetes with hyperglycemia had a right diabetic foot ulcers with questionable acute osteomyelitis, which could be the reason for the hyperglycemia, and patient has a known history of neuropathy. The patient was treated with IV antibody, IV insulin, to bring diabetes under control, discharged to be followed in the wound care center. So our diagnosis codes, and I just put them on this slide this way, this may not be the way it play out, depending on your documentation. So we have hyperglycemia. We got a diabetic foot ulcer. Of course, we got the foot ulcer code, uh, unspecified severity, diabetic polyneuropathy, and E1169, diabetes with other specified um, uh, complication, because that's where it goes when you got an osteomyelitis. And hmm. so we go to our next slide, and we're going to see what how this play out with your medical MSDRGs. As you notice. E1165 and E11621 and E1169 all goes to um MSDRG 638 The only time that MSDRG is going to change is if that neuropathy is the principal And sometimes it's very hard to get that neuropathy as a principal, especially when they're coming in with the diabetic uh, uh, osteomyelitis or they're coming in with hyperglycemia. Because remember, your principal diagnosis is the condition established after study to be chiefly responsible for bringing the patient to the hospital. Not too many people come in a lot of times with just the neuropathy unless they have having a surgical procedure. And so you gotta look at it, uh, say, okay, would this patient have been admitted if they did not have the osteomyelitis or the hyperglycemia? So let's look at also, let's look how some potential, potential surgical MSDRGs could pay, play out. Once again, the co- your diagnosis code of E1165, and I just did a little toe amputation. I didn't do anything major here. Uh, of course, once again, depending on the type of procedure that is performed, uh, some of these could change. Uh, E1165, which is your hyperglycemia, E11621, which is your diabetic foot, I believe, and E1169, the osteomyelitis. Notice, and you had an amputation of the toe, they all go to 617. And notice your weight and your payment. Now, of course, your payment could be higher or lower depending on your rate uh, for your hospital. Then look what happened uh, with uh, the neuropathy. You get a 041, which is a much higher-weighted MSDRG. So once again, from a coding perspective, we are going to be looking at that documentation to try to determine what truly brought this patient to the hospital, Uh, like one of my CDI friends used to say, what bought the bed. What is paying for the bed? Uh, so watch out for that. That hyperglycemia um, thrown in the mix with some of these other diabetic complications really can potentially cause some issues with trying to select that principal diagnosis.
2: True. And
1: last week, on the, um, I think someone had a question about cellulitis and, and diabetes, whether you could make that other skin complication uh, with diabetes that you have. You know, I couldn't find anything on it. Um, once again, the scenario, you want to look at the scenario, you actually get reimbursed a little bit better if you have cellulitis as your principal. Because remember, cellulitis, the only way you're going to move that is to have a major CC. Um, and, of course, none of those diabetes codes are going to be a major CC. If you notice mm. your uh, relative weight is a little higher with your cellulitis than it is if you did the E10, well, I just did the E10 because it was a type 1, whatever the case may be, uh, E10628, which is type 1 with other skin complications, and then we put the cellulitis as the secondary. Me, personally, if you want to get the cellulitis or if you want the diabetes as um, as your principal, I would ask the physician to make the relationship between the cellulitis and the diabetes because, once again, that patient could be, uh, be sicker, have more signs and symptoms of the cellulitis because of the diabetes, because especially if they got a neuropathy or got something else going on. So
2: so how would you um, recommend, Mary, that the physician write, you know, that the patient that comes in with the blood sugars, you know, the five six hundred and we also find cellulitis somewhere. Um, how would you recommend us connecting the two?
1: Well, what I would do, uh, Dr. Johar, what I would recommend is, number one, he would definitely document hyperglycemia. And then the documentation would state patient is a known type 1, type 2 diabetic with cellulitis of the left lower leg. Cause all the uncontrolled. A little, yeah. right, right. Yeah, And they say
2: uncontrolled,
1: uncontrolled diabetes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay.
2: uncontrolled.
1: They changed the rules on it, whether it's uncontrolled, poorly controlled, and out of control. Right. And um, right. check me out on Brittle. I saw something on Brittle um, in my book, I think in the index. But that's how I would right. do it. Yes, I would actually okay. make that relationship like that. Thank you. And I think I. you're welcome. I think I threw a, a pressure off in here. Um. Yep. Just to yep. give you an example of if your patient came in with one stage and progressed to another stage, how that would look. So if your patient came in with a stage two and progressed to a stage three, then of course the two is gonna be a POA or yes and your three can be a POA or no. So we wanted to just kinda of throw that in there. Uh also I did another I threw in another little tidbit um because evidently people struggle, struggle with this, and not just with pressure ulcer, but I noticed this with other things. If a patient is admitted with a pressure ulcer and it's healed at the time they leave, you're still going to code the stage of the pressure ulcer at the time of admission. I've had coders say to me, well, Mary, they hate sepsis, but he said, um, It was uh, controlled. You know, the sepsis had been cured, or it's no longer a problem at the time of discharge. And I said, that's what you want. That's that's the whole reason of putting somebody in the hospital. If they got sepsis, you want to treat them, and you want them to not have sepsis at the time of discharge. So remember, we're gonna code based on what's happening at the time of admission, and we want people Mm. to be well when they leave the hospital. So when a physician document that it resolved, that doesn't mean we do not code it, especially if they present with it. Now, if mm. the condition has resolved before they admit it, no, we don't code it. But if that, if they admit it with sepsis or pneumonia and it resolves at the time of discharge, we're supposed to be coding that, people. So um, mm. watch out for that.
2: The okay. other one that All we right. want
1: to talk about was high risk OB, uh, earn, I believe. Yeah. Okay. So I think we mentioned this just a little bit, uh, last week I'm not sure. Uh category uh comes from category O nine, supervision of high risk pregnancy, uh intended for use only during the uh uh, the um, uh, prenatal period that the patient is in—that's before they have the baby—complication uh, during labor delivery episode as a result of high-risk pregnancy assigned a principal complication code. Basically, all they're saying to us is this: Don't have O09 as a principal on the inpatient because you're going to get the edit that says unacceptable principal diagnosis. If you want to hmm. code that as a secondary. I put it through 3M, and I got I did it as a secondary, but I didn't get an edit. And it say I couldn't do it. So uh, I coded whatever I needed to code it as my primary. I threw that on as a secondary, and there was no edit. And what was even more amazing is that I did a an 080 and threw one of those codes on there because I think it was like um, uh, elderly uh, primograva code that uh, elderly primograva so I I'm just I'm going to see what happens if I put the secondary code with this old aid, And guess what? Nothing happened. The the coding police didn't come after me. I didn't even get an edit about it. And I was just playing. <laughs> yeah, the coding police didn't come for me, Ernie. So I'm like, hmm, okay. So if there's some high-risk things you absolutely want to collect, it's not going to increase your reimbursement. I guess you could do it for data collection. Nobody's going to come after you. Okay, Ernie, let's go to slide 30, because I'm going to get through some more of these um, scenarios we got. So once Okay, we you want to go to? Let's go, Ernie. Let's jump down to. What's
0: the title? OB scenario? OB scenario. Okay.
1: So my patient is 37 weeks. She was she came in with pregnant-induced hypertension. She was immediately treated with IV meds to control the blood pressure. She was continuing to progress in labor and however then she failed to progress any further step C section was performed for failure to progress. Now, because she was specifically admitted for the gestational hypertension, that will be my principal diagnosis. The failure to progress will be my secondary. Even though the C section was done for the failure to progress, I'm not going to make it as my primary because she was admitted for hyper, uh, what gestational hypertension. Let's go to the next one, Ernie.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, this the second OB patient. This patient was admitted with breech presentation at 31 weeks, and she had a primary low cervical C-section for the breech presentation and early uh, delivery, uh, so she had an early delivery. Uh, so notice my code, because she was breached on a, on a mission, I can use that as my principal. It would be okay if you want to use preterm labor, but the rules say if you have a diagnosis present on a mission that leads to the C-section, make it your principal. And so that's hmm. why I did that one that way. And let's see, Ernie. Let's go down to. Here's here's
0: somebody's somebody's got a question here. It says, "Is anyone having no. trouble with coding OB <laughs> codes with childbirth specificity and getting a 50% reduction because childbirth codes aren't on the Medicaid list of acceptable diagnoses for early C-section?"
1: Oh my gosh, that's just crazy. So let me understand. <laughs> for Medicaid, whatever state you are in. Mm-hmm. If you're cause see what it is, uh, for you all that may not do OB coding. Um, we some of some of the OB codes actually have this little code that say in childbirth. That means that if my patient come in and have a baby and I have that in childbirth option, I must use it. Notice here uh, on the one we have on the screen. Now, notice I got maternal care for breach presentation, not applicable or unspecified. This particular code doesn't have in childbirth option. So what I have to do is I'm going to use the code for the third trimester because in the third trimester you deliver. And so you're saying Medicaid is saying when you use In childbirth option, they're going to reduce the payment. That's crazy. You hate the baby.
0: (laughs) I was just going to
2: say, in childbirth means
0: you're giving birth, right? At that time.
2: Oh, my gosh. I'm not saying anything. Medicaid gives you you, uh, pennies and nickels anyway, so can you imagine 50% reduction (laughs) out of that? It's a sad story. Mm. Just because you hate
1: the baby? Oh, my gosh. Oh my! that need to be take to the taken to the insurance commissioner or something wherever you are um you can
0: go see your hospital association at least yeah I at would at least I would do that
1: uh, many many years ago you're... um <laughs> I had a Medicaid person, and um this was before they got learned some sense. I had a patient that came in and delivered the baby, and she went home the next day. she had had five babies, and she said, "Look, I'm going home." Well, you know, Medicaid wanted us to code her out as an outpatient. And at that time, I was uh, in the hospital. I said, no, we're not. Uh, <laughs> she said, mostly we. I, said, no. I said, no, we're not. I said, no, we're not coding her out as an outpatient. And I said, I'm taking this to the insurance commissioner. We got that bill paid. Sometimes you just have to put your foot down. And I think Absolutely. it's too much of us rolling over and playing dead with these insurance and Medicaid people. I mean, that's great. Yes. <laughs>
3: Medicaid does respond very well in most states if you show them two or three other states that are doing it appropriately and saying, mm-hmm. here's your error um, I, I've dealt with them at both the hospital and directly with their chief medical officer and said look here's what's going on here's your other states this is what they do this is the appropriate way I think you may have overlooked this um, they do do pretty well if you show them other states are doing it. And then there are other things that just some Medicaid's won't even listen. So I don't know. I know but
1: One hospital I was coding for, we had a problem with Medicaid. If the patient came in and they had a laceration, where if you come in and you deliver the baby and you have a laceration, you're not a normal OB patient. And the laceration, of course, is not present on admission. mission. So when we put the no on there, oh, my gosh, it just freaked them out. And they said, no, we're not going to pay for this. You cannot have a no as a principal diagnosis. So we like, okay. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes what I would do, I would um, change the coding around because sometimes I could have other things. But, you know, hey, I probably shouldn't go on record of saying this. You want you a want <laughs> laceration to be a yes? Okay, I can make it a yes for you. It's not a big deal. Put the wire on it. Get your money. Move on. Um, but anyway, that's you know, I was <laughs> that's what they decided to do. So Ob, I, mm-hmm. that's amazing. All right, Ernie, let's go on to these little newborns. Our little babies here. We infant know of the,
0: a diabetic mother, or what do you want to do?
1: Uh, infant of a diabetic. Mm, yep. Let's uh, let's see, Ernie, and I'm gonna talk to it. Uh, let's see. We may we we about to get out of time. Go yeah, go down to yeah. neonatal scenario, and I'll just talk through it. Okay. Okay. So your P codes is only to be used if that maternal condition actually affects the baby. Okay. Um, if you have a mom that have a baby. Um, and they had a problem, but the baby don't have the problem, but you observed the baby, the baby didn't even have signs and symptoms, so let me make sure I said that. If the neonate has signs and symptoms from that problem, for instance, how many times have we had a mom to have um, fetal distress, and you code out fetal distress, but when the baby comes, the baby is yelling their head off. They're not distressed at all. That's a normal newborn, and so um, you won't use a P-code on that baby because the baby had no signs and symptoms of fetal distress. Uh, so watch out for that. You must, In order to code those P-codes, your baby must have some signs and symptoms. Now, in this uh, scenario we got here, we got a full-term newborn born to a mom that was oxycardone dependent uh, for low back pain. That infant tested positive for narcotics. Anytime the patient, that neonate, tests uh, positive for drugs, then you're going to use the appropriate P code. Now they got ones uh, that they can test positive. They got a very specific code for cocaine. Um, this one here is for a non-narcotic, uh, a prescription med, I believe it is. So whatever the medication is that the baby is being affected by, then you're going to pick up the P041. P041 can never be a primary diagnosis. It's always in the secondary slot. Okay. And uh, you can, especially on the Z3800. So if your mom delivers that baby, you're going to code a Z3800 or Z3801, then the P code can never be a principal. However, if the baby is discharged and re-admitted, and you're not going to have the newborn uh, code on there, of course it could be principal. Let's look at our next scenario. So we got a full-term newborn. He was born to a GBS-positive mom. We're gonna observe for any symptoms or infection. The baby was cleared to be discharged home with mom on day number two without signs of infection. But see, they want to observe the baby, but the baby didn't have a fever. The baby didn't have a temp. They know that if that mom is GBS-positive, there are times that baby can be affected. So you may see them saying, "We're gonna put the baby in a little bit isolation, whatever the kind of." uh, Whatever the case may be. But the baby didn't really have any signs and symptoms. So, once again, we got our full term on newborn code. I've got the wrong code here. Uh, that should be Z38. And then we got our observation for suspected infection on that one. Send that to Ernie. Z38. Uh,
0: that one has Z38.
1: Yeah, okay. So, full term newborn vaginal delivery and your observation because the baby did not have any signs and symptoms. If the baby has signs and symptoms, you're gonna use your P code, Uh, excuse me, if the baby has signs and symptoms, then of course you can code those signs and Mm -hmm. symptoms as well, or you can code your P code. Uh, Full term, exceptionally large baby born to a gestational diabetic mom, treated with insulin during the pregnancy will observe for hypoglycemia patient did not demonstrate hypoglycemia. There's a coding clinic that tells you anytime the uh, physician document a large baby on a diabetic mom, be it gestation or they was pre-existing diabetes, then you are allowed to use that secondary code. And so in this case, she was a gestational diabetes. And TM, you have a code for pre existing diabetes, and you also have one for gestational. And so large babies automatic, of a diabetic mom automatically uh, qualify for your P codes. Um, so
0: Mary, so since we're the scenarios.
1: we yeah, good, we're right We already talked that. about all these clinical validation stuff. We already talked about that in previous email. Um uh, uh, what, last time we talked? Not last time, but before we did an update. So we before did. that
0: we were doing, yeah.
1: Yeah, we did. That. So it was should just, have uh, all yeah, so
0: the slides are in there, so everybody can take a look at those. Um, and
1: uh, please feel free to send me an email uh, if you need uh, me to clarify something. That's fine. Just send me an email. Uh, remember, if you're, dealing, if you're doing anything with hospice, if you're doing hospice coding, uh hospitals now will have to follow the u h d d s guideline for the definition. It has to be the condition that causes them to go to hospital, so um make sure you understand that and outpatient service applies to everybody. all the guidelines, just some clarification there, okay,, Woo, mm. we made it through today and okay <laughs> <laughs> and so uh please feel free to call me call me, oh my lord. Um, email. Me. <laughs> I, I got a phone. You know what? I got a phone too. If you want to call me, seven zero four nine four four uh forty five seventy three or something like that. We so feel free to call me, email. The email is on the slide, not the phone number. So anyway, I yeah, had a great time. Yeah. Thank you for having me, um, Ernie. Uh, thank you all sure. for your patience and understanding. Sorry about the slide, but you know what? It's it's Friday. <laughs> it's Friday, and I pushed her
0: to do this show this week, so uh you know thank you mary for uh, putting up with us and thanks for coming back and uh and you know uh doing the doing the other slides and adding those scenarios in i i I think those are very helpful to everybody okay well, um we've gone a little over time, which is pretty normal, but uh thanks everybody for being part of our show. Uh, we will return next week. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about, but watch for my email announcements. And thanks for everybody for participating today. Of course, special thanks to Mary Gregory, her company, MAS Coding Solutions. Of course, Dr. Johar, Bill and Sharon, for freely sharing their knowledge and experience with all of us. Thanks to everyone who participated in the chat box. And of course, we do always owe thanks to our sponsors and partners, the Health Law Partners, Zermed, Recovery Analytics, and the CCMA, because it is their contributions that make these broadcasts possible to be free to all of you. So watch for my emails about the January 27th show. Uh, Please share the links with our show to your colleagues and friends. And the last thing I want to share with you is this slide that, you know, you need to be strong enough to stand alone. You need to be smart enough to know when you need help. And brave enough to ask for it. So don't be afraid to write to our speakers and our panel. That's why we put up the emails and everything. So anyway, uh thanks everyone.
1: And remember uh, there's no dumb questions. Not in coding yeah. anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no dumb questions. No none at all anywhere. So okay. Thanks very much, everyone. And have a uh, great weekend.
2: Will... Thank you, Ernie. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you all very much.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thank you, Bill. We'll see you or all. Should next I should I say? Bonds. Bonds. The name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every every day, every
3: day I get a new picture because I'm like, see, ya, nobody really knows what I look like, and that's very fortunate for them. <laughs>
2: okay.
0: <laughs> okay. <Bye-bye. laughs> we'll see you all next week when it's finally Friday. Have a great weekend. Have a great bye-bye. weekend. Okay. Um, bye bye.